today we're going to pick right back up uh, just where we left off and um, kind of picking up in Paul's train of thought as he talks about what it means to have our eyes awakened or the eyes of our hearts awakened by the Holy Spirit. And, and we started looking at this last week and we talked about how it's going to lead us to walk in a wise way, in a way that follows after God and, and pursues what's best rather than what's permissible. And we saw it, it actually impacts the way we sing. Now we sing with our, our whole hearts and with passion and with energy and, and all of that. And today, he's just going to continue this train of thought of what it looks like for us to wake up and walk into this deeper experience of God. And what we're going to see today is that the Holy Spirit does something in our hearts that is totally radical totally supernatural, um, totally amazing, and yet more often than not goes unnoticed and neglected in our Christian lives. Probably because most of us are sleeping still. But we just like don't think about this much at all. And that thing that I'm going to show you today is gratitude. He actually takes our hearts and makes them grateful and thankful. So if you have your Bibles, let's pick back up where we were last week, Ephesians 5, and we'll start in 14 so you can get the context again, and we'll go to verse 20. If you don't have a Bible, it should be on the screen. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and don't get drunk with wine, because that's debauchery, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he's just going to flow into all of these results that happen once we're filled with the Spirit. All of these are, are just kind of contingent um, clauses. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody with the Lord with your heart. And then in verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God always and for everything. Does that sound like you? <laughs> this past week as I was preparing, I came across study after study after study from places like Harvard University and, and Berkeley and Northeastern and scientific journals and on and on and on about how gratitude is absolutely vital and necessary for full and happy lives. For example, one study from Cal San Diego's School of Medicine showed that the practice of gratitude could actually lower blood pressure. One out of two human beings, Americans, like struggle with high blood pressure. Practice gratitude, guys. It, it could also improve your immune function and facilitate more efficient sleep. This is like the real essential oil, right? Another study showed that subjects who kept gratitude journals took in 25% less dietary fat and possessed 23% less of the stress hormones that all of us carry around with us all the time, just by keeping a gratitude journal. A study out of Harvard showed that people who set aside five minutes a day just to practice gratitude were exponentially happier and less depressed and less anxious than they were before the study. And every month that they did it, they got happier and happier and happier and less depressed. The most fascinating study that I came across was from Berkeley, though, because this study didn't take like healthy people and it didn't take like happy people. It took 300 adults, mostly college students, 
who are struggling with clinical depression and anxiety and who are seeking counseling. And it took all of them, and before they started their first sessions of counseling, it put them into three different groups of people. One of the groups was required to write a thank you letter or a letter of gratitude just one time a week. The other group was required to just like write about their experiences and how they had had a negative impact on their lives, which is kind of what therapy does a lot of times. And then the other group didn't have a writing assignment. So you had these three groups. The results were absolutely fascinating. Not only did they find that those who wrote gratitude letters showed significantly better mental health scores, but they went through this MRI scanner, and I'm not going to get into all the technicalities, and I don't even know what half of these words mean, but there was a greater activation of the medial prefrontal cortex. I can't even say it because I'm not a scientist. Long story short, there is long-term brain health benefits from just writing a thank you letter once a week. This is crazy. The result of every single study that I looked at showed that if you want to live a happier life and a healthier life and a fuller life, which I think we all want, you need to express gratitude and practice gratitude on a regular basis. But this isn't just about happiness. Yes, we all want happier lives, we all want fuller lives, we all want healthier lives, but gratitude is actually one of the most important qualities and aspects in order for us to have an effective witness and ministry in the world as followers of Jesus. Meaning that when we give thanks all the time and for everything, we show the world that there is something different and mighty and supernatural at work within our hearts. Something that they don't know about. Gratitude is so important that next to love, it might be the quality that our ministry as ambassadors for Christ hinges on. Look at how Paul put it in Philippians 2, 14 through 15. Do everything without grumbling or complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And look at this, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In other words, among whom you shine as the sun in the world. Yes, the world will know us by our love for one another. Absolutely, love is 100% vital, but a close second What will cause us to stand out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation is that we trade grumbling for gratitude. Perfect example of the impact gratitude has on our witness is actually a story of the Apostle Paul when he was in Philippi. If you grew up in church, you you heard this story, you sang about it. If you haven't, I'll tell you, he he was in Philippi. He was with his traveling companion, Silas. They're preaching through the streets, and this demon-possessed girl is following them around, and they turn around, and they're like, demon, get out of this girl, and it causes this massive riot, and a mob grabs Paul and Silas, beats them with rods, throws them in prison, shackles their feet, and just leaves them there to rot under the guard of uh, this, this lone man. And if you know this story, you know that in the midst of that, they start singing and praising God and giving God thanks And immediately, there's an earthquake. 
the cells like have the doors burst open, their shackles break off their feet, and, and everyone is just dumbfounded. And it's a result of their thanksgiving. I love how uh, John Phillips describes it. He says, the prison cells were so shaken that the doors burst open. The other prisoners were spell, so spellbound that they could not budge. The jailer himself was so moved that his first words were, what must I do to be saved? Because in their darkest hour, they were giving thanks to God. Gratitude is what sets us apart and causes us to burn like the sun in our lost and unbelieving generation so that people look at us and ask, what in the world do you have and how do I get it? What must I do to know this God of yours? But there's a problem. And the problem is that naturally we don't have grateful hearts. Naturally, left to ourselves, we have greedy, discontent, envious, grumbling hearts. And so rather than looking to God and all of the things that he's given us and giving him thanks, we look to other people and want and wish that we had what they have. Social media takes us to a whole nother level, doesn't it? The grass is always greener is the kind of heart that we're born with. It's a result of sin. One of the best pictures of this truth yeah, it was caught on home video by my dad every year at Christmas when all of us were opening our presents. I have a twin brother. His name's Seth. He's a genius. He's awesome. He's a writer. He's all this great stuff. But he's a very selfish human being. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And uh, my dad was like this classic dad, you know, classic dad of the 90s. Had one of those huge video cameras that you, you wore on your shoulder like a news reporter or whatever. And he's always just walking around like every other dad just recording everything. And we, we never really understood why he was doing that. Now we're so thankful because he, ta- he caught some of like the wildest and craziest and most entertaining things. A few years ago, they put all of these VHS cassette tapes onto DVDs. And so now one of our favorite things to do when we're home for the holidays, is watch our weird kid selves and, and just laugh, you know. And so we, we watch these Christmas ones, and this is one of our favorites because it's basically your, your routine Christmas. Kids opening presents. There's nothing special about it whatsoever, except every single year my dad zooms in on my brother's face when I'm opening my present. And it is priceless. It's unreal. Um, just to give you some background, I'm two minutes older. I'm the oldest, most important two minutes of my entire life, okay? Because <laughs> I lured that thing over him. He will always be my baby brother, no matter what he wants to say or how he wants to act. So he got to open his presents first because he's the youngest. He's the baby. And, uh, and he would always ask for, like, lame stuff. Um, he was an artist, and, and that's great. But he would ask for, like, drawing pencils and sketch paper and, and erasers and you know, like all of these drawing artist things, and he would get it, and he would be so excited. He'd be jumping up and down like, this is exactly what I wanted. Thank you so much, and he's holding his pencils, and, and I was smart. I asked for cool things. I asked for like remote-controlled cars and boom boxes and all of that kind of stuff, and so like this one Christmas, he's literally holding his pencils, and he's so happy on this couch, and I'm busting open two remote-controlled cars because I asked for that, and, and you can just like, my dad zooms in on his face, 
and the joy and the excitement and the pleasure just vanishes. It's gone, and, and, he, and he, it's, it's like you should play the horror music in the background of like the wee, 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 wee. He, he like zones out, and he's like looking at his pencils, and he's looking at my cars, and he's looking at his pencils, and his eyes get glossy, and he's just sitting there. And it, it's the saddest and most like disappointing face you could ever see. And it, we laugh so hard, we give him such a hard time for that. But if that isn't a picture of you and me in this day and age, I don't know what is. Like, we're surrounded by so many blessings, so many good gifts from God. Most of it we actually ask for, and he answers, and he gives us what we asked for, and we're like, wow, this is the most amazing thing. I can't believe you heard my prayer. I can't believe you, you answered this. This is, thank you so much. And then, like, the next second, we're looking to the left and to the right, left and to the right, uh, Everyone around us, and we're thinking, like, man, I really wish I had what he had. I really wish I had that job or that career or that income or that family or those vacations and all of that. It's no wonder that in the midst of all of our wealth and all of our comfort and all of our technology and education, Americans, and man, this is all these other studies that I'm not even going to go into. Americans are the most depressed and anxious people in any land, in any country, in any time in the history of the world. So what we need more than anything is for the Holy Spirit to move in and to take our discontented, greedy, grumbling hearts and make them grateful. How does he do it? How does he enable us to grow out of grumbling and grow into gratitude so that we become people who give thanks all the time and for everything, even those things that are uncomfortable and unwanted? Well, there are two ways that we see here in our text, and I want to unpack them with you. And hopefully this gives you tons of hope and stirs up gratitude in your heart. The first way that he does this is he causes us to rest in the fatherhood of a sovereign God. Look back at verse 20. He says, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father. Now, it's easy for us to breeze over Trinitarian language like this because we're used to talking about Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit without ever really understanding what it means and so we just kind of like get through that yeah he's the father and there's a son but there are massive implications that flow out of the triune nature of God in our lives when we slow down a little bit we realize that our gratitude hinges on this one thing that God is first and foremost our father and we are first and foremost his sons and daughters. Before he ever ruled anything, we saw this in Ephesians chapter one, if you might remember if you were here. Before he ever ruled anything in eternity past, he was a dad, showering his son with love. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so at his very core, fundamentally, he's not sovereign ruler, he is loving father. And this has massive implications on our relationship with him because that means at our very core, we are not his servants. 
I'm going to say that again. At the very core of the way we relate to God, first and foremost, we are not servants. First and foremost, we are sons and daughters basking in his love and kindness. The same love with which he loved his son in eternity past, he now has invited us into. Guys, we gotta, we got to really understand what this means. You see, if my kids viewed me first and foremost as Benjamin, the, the ruler and the king of the Davy household, like they, they might obey me and they might respect me and they might serve me, but they wouldn't be able to trust me because authority doesn't require love. Like kings don't have to love their subjects. They can do whatever they want. Presidents don't have to love their people. They can be totally motivated by all their selfish ambitions and they can just do whatever like pads their pockets or advances their agenda. Kings do not have to love their subjects. And here's the thing, if I, if I don't love them, if I'm just the king, if I'm just a ruler, they can never be sure that I have their best interests at heart. As a result, guys, get this, and, and I want you to really like, think through this in your own relationship with God. Any request that I would make of them, any requirement that I would have of them, any demand, any expectation, any responsibility, even discipline, would always be called into question if I'm first and foremost king and ruler and not dad. And you know what that leads to? Grumbling and complaining. Man, I can't believe that guy's making us pick up pine cones and sticks again. What is this, slave labor? How does he expect us to eat all of this food for dinner? Only an evil dictator would make us eat vegetables. How dare he? And what kind of jerk would make us go to bed while the sun is still out and everyone else in the neighborhood is still awake? What kind of king is this? You see, if I'm first and foremost ruler and first and foremost king, then those expectations might not actually be good gifts. They might just be arbitrary commands based on my own whims and feelings of the day. And so all they're going to do is grumble and complain. But listen to this. If, on the other hand, I am first and foremost their father who loves them and wants them to thrive and once their joy and their happiness and success in the world, expectations are not arbitrary commands. My demands and the responsibilities I give them and the tasks that I give them are actually for their good and their kind and loving gifts. So when I tell them to pick up sticks and pine cones, which I do, it's not because I need them to do it. I could do it myself a hundred times faster. They're not helping me at all. But I tell them to do it because I, I want them to develop a strong work ethic because I know that's going to help them. When, when Caroline makes vegetables and we make them eat them together, and man, that is a battle. Like who knew that would be so hard? It's because we want them to be strong and we want them to be healthy because we love them. When we make them go to sleep early, when the sun's still up, it's not because we're dictators, it's because we want their well-being. And so here's the question that you need to ask yourself today. 
How do you relate to God? How do you relate to God? Is he first and foremost sovereign king? And as a result, you interact with him as if you are first his humble servant? Now, guys, please don't get me wrong, because I know this is going to sound a little bit weird, especially if you didn't hear this sermon from Ephesians 1, which if you didn't hear it, go back to the podcast and listen to that, because it's like this long theological explanation and argument for it. God is sovereign king. Like, we are his humble servants. A hundred percent yes. But if we put that above fatherhood and sonship, then everything else in our relationship gets out of whack. Everything else. If we operate as servants before sons, everything is twisted. It becomes legalism. It, It becomes burdensome. It becomes based on guilt and shame and duty rather than love and gratitude. And so that's why the first thing the Holy Spirit has to do in our hearts is is to help us see and grasp this fact that while God is sovereign above all else, he is our Abba, our Papa, our Dad, who loves us and wants our happiness and joy. And so everything that he does, everything that he allows, everything that he plans and gives and even demands is for our good. So we can say in all things, all the time, thank you, Dad. Thank you. Even if we don't understand why he's doing it or why he allows it, we can say thank you. See, at its most basic level, gratitude is simply realizing that we're the recipients of deliberate kindness. Let me say that again. At its most basic level, gratitude is simply realizing that we are the recipients of deliberate kindness. And this is what we have to see. If the sovereign ruler of the universe is first and foremost our loving Father, then we can trust and rest in the fact that everything in our lives is an act of deliberate kindness. So we can thank him for it. If you want to write something down, write this down and, and, and just meditate on it throughout the week. Gratitude is the natural response to the supernatural realization that God is our Father. Gratitude is the natural outpouring of the realization, the supernatural realization that God is our Father. So even the stuff we don't like, even the stuff that he doesn't cause, like evil, because God doesn't cause evil. God doesn't cause sin. God doesn't cause the wrongs that are done against us, and so we don't have to thank him for sin, okay? Like that, that gets into some really messy waters. We don't have to thank God for, for abuse. We don't have to thank God for wrongs done against us. God hates those things. And God's going to judge those things. He's coming back to fight for the afflicted and to judge the oppressors. We don't have to thank him for the oppressors. We thank him that one day he's coming back to judge, right? But in the midst of all of that, even those things that he doesn't cause and that happen, he has promised to work those things out for our good. Romans 8, 28 through 29 promises us this. It says, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt with 100% certainty that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And this is why. In order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. It goes back to his fatherhood. It goes back to the fact that Jesus is our brother and he is our dad. Therefore, he's working out everything for our good. No trial, no situation, no burden, no lack falls outside of the scope of his tender, loving care. Because Christ is our brother and he is our dad. Not too long ago, I read some of Corey Tim Boom's um, autobiography and just her description of her time in the Nazi concentration camp uh, of Ravensbrück. She and her sister Betsy were there in this overcrowded, flea-infested barracks. And it was terrible, as you could imagine. If you have studied any history at all from World War II, you know that these were not places you wanted to be. Somehow, though, they were able to smuggle in uh, a Bible. So they had access to this Bible, and they were reading all of these different passages about giving thanks and all things all the time and about how God was working out everything for their benefit and for their joy and for his glory. And they're reading all of these things. And so Corey's sister, Betsy, she's like, man, it says that we need to give thanks for all things at all times. We need to start thanking God for these fleas. And, and this was like way too much for Corey. She wanted no part of this. And she's like, no way. Like, Yes, I'll thank God for some things, but I, I can't thank God for these fleas. And Betsy just kept going after her, and she's like, no, we've got to thank him for it. And so they finally started thanking God for the fleas every day. Now, this is interesting and, and fascinating because over the next several months, something strange happened. Something pretty amazing happened. All of the guards stopped coming into the women's barracks, just left them alone. And this was huge because this meant, this meant that the women didn't have to, to worry about being assaulted. It also meant that they could hold open Bible studies and prayer times every single day in the center of this Nazi concentration camp. Countless women came to know Christ as, as Lord and Savior as a result of this open Bible study and prayer time. And the reason is, and they found this out afterwards as they were like getting ready to leave, the reason the guards stopped coming into their barracks and the reason they were able to hold these Bible studies and lead countless women to Christ was because of the fleas. I love how James 1 puts it. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And I just put this in here. And that means even the ones that don't seem good or perfect in the moment. Like things like fleas or worse. It's all good and all perfect coming down from the Father. You, you see that word again? The Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Guys, what would it look like? <laughs> what would it look like for you to view everything in your life? The annoying commute and the terrible traffic, coworkers who are hard to get along with, your demanding boss, your low-paying job, your difficult neighbors, your health issues, your interrupted plans. What if you viewed all of those things as acts of deliberate kindness flowing down from the Father of lights? 
as good and perfect gifts coming to you from your Father who is in it. What would that look like in your life? It would look like people who are filled with the spirit of gratitude, thanking him all the time for all things. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is to make us realize and rest in the fatherhood of God. And the second thing he does is that he causes us to rest in the finished work of Christ. Again, look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where we are told to give thanks in the name of Jesus. But it is incredibly significant. You see, in the first century, names had a ton of meaning. They weren't just given to people because they sounded good or they were trendy or like the royal family named their kid this name in, in Britain. So we just started naming our kids this name over here. Like they actually um, encapsulated the, the person's attributes and actions. So your name represented your presence and your personality and even your very appearance in the world. In other words, it essentially defined who you were. For example, in Genesis, when Esau is born, one of the first kids ever, he came out looking like a monkey. And they were like, this guy is really hairy. You will be called Esau, which literally means hairy. You were named based on your appearance. It's also why when God chose Abram and Sarai, to be the father and mother of his people, the nation of Israel, he changed their names to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham meaning father of multitudes and Sarah meaning mother of the nations. His names literally encapsulated everything that you were. Now this is really important for our context today because when Paul tells us to give thanks in the name of Jesus, he's not talking about his literal name. He's talking about his entire person and his entire presence and attributes and accomplishments. Everything that he ever said and everything that he ever did, everything he ever was, pray in that name. You guys, praying in Jesus' name is something that we do. Like I close every prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. But praying in Jesus' name is not just like uttering some name that literally millions of people have. Like, have you ever met a Jesus before? It's always kind of awkward, right? Like, hey, uh, you know who you're named after? Like, there's millions of Jesuses in the world. Praying in Jesus' name is not just about his saying his name. It's about standing in the finished work of his perfect life, atoning death, and victorious resurrection on your behalf. That's what praying in Jesus' name means means that you rest in who he was, who he is, and what he did. That's what it's all about. See, when the Spirit awakens the eyes of our hearts, the first thing he causes us to see and grasp and rest in is the fatherhood of God. But what he immediately shows us in that process of enlightenment is the only reason we have the fatherhood of God is because the person and presence and accomplishment of Jesus Christ coming and standing in the gap for us to bring us into his family. They go together. And so the reason that we can call God our father is because he sent his son to satisfy his wrath. 
The only reason we get to call dad and, and Abba and, and Papa is because he sent his son to take our judgment and give us his perfection. The love of the Father has been secured by the name of Jesus. And so we stand in it. We rest in it. Romans 8, 31 through 35 says this perfectly. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So now, who can separate us from the love of Christ? So guys, if you are struggling with a grumbling spirit and you can't seem to stop wanting what you don't have, if you're having a hard time recognizing God as the giver of every good gift in your life, and if you're having a hard time seeing that everything that you have flows from his Father's hearts for your good and your joy, if you're like me, and like the Israelites in the wilderness who literally had manna falling from heaven and looking around like, God, what else do you have? I want more. I'm not content. I'm not happy. It's because our minds have wandered away from the gospel and we no longer see the finished work of Christ. We're no longer resting in it. See, gratitude is the natural response to salvation doesn't require guilt, doesn't require coercion, it doesn't require persuasion. It's like, well, why am I even preaching about it? Because I just want to remind you again that you've been saved, that you're not resting in your own work anymore. You're resting in his finished work. And for those who've been saved, man, we can't help but be grateful. A couple years ago, I was stung by a yellow jacket. And I didn't know I was allergic to yellow jackets, but evidently I was. And so I was driving to Lowe's to get the uh, yellow jacket killer, and I was just going to go back and kill the yellow jackets. And on the way to Lowe's, I just started tingling all over. And um, it was like this weird sensation of heat and like pins and needles. And I'm like, man, I'm having a reaction. Uh, this is weird. I pull into the parking lot, and I call Caroline, and I'm like, hey, I think I'm having like a reaction. Just want to let you know. I'm going to get this, uh, this bee killer, and then I'm going to come home. And, and she's like, I think you should like, go to the doctor or something. I'm like, no, I'll be all right. As soon as I hung up the phone with her, I felt my face just get really weird. And, and I couldn't see it, so I pulled out my phone and put it on like camera mode and reversed it so I could look at my face. And, and I looked like an 80-year-old man. My face was like totally raisined and wrinkled all over and uh, swollen and disgusting. And I was like, something's, something's in, you know, not right here. And so I took a picture of my face and Instagrammed it um, after I, I was saved, though. Um, and I, I called 911. And I'm like, hey, something's really wrong. And at this point, I was just deteriorating like rapidly. So I've already dropped my phone, my head's on the steering wheel, and I'm talking like on, on you know, car mode through the speaker to this 911 operator. I'm able, thankfully, to tell them where I am and what color my car is, and then I pass out. I was literally within seconds of dying. And uh, 
Caroline showed up. When Caroline showed up, there were these two maybe angels, these two just women who showed up and then disappeared, and they were kind of helping me a little bit. And then um, the fire truck got there and gave me two EpiPens. Like, it took two, okay, to save me. They get me into the ambulance, and the EpiPens start doing their work, and I'm coming to, and I can see, and I realize what's just happened. Like, these people have literally just saved my life. And the whole way to the hospital, all I'm doing is just, like, thanking them. Thank you so much for being there on time. Thank you so much for not being, like, a second later. Like, thanks for doing your job. And just like thanking them on and on and on over and over and over because I, like, they literally just saved my life. Guys, when you've been saved, like no one has to tell you. Like you should probably say thanks. It just like comes out. It's just like the natural response of gratitude. Like, wow, if it weren't for you, I would be dead. This is why David Brooks uh, wrote this. Gratitude happens when some kindness exceeds expectations or when it's undeserved. Gratitude is a sort of laughter of the heart that comes out after some surprising kindness. Some of you might not have been saved by like an EMS worker. Some of you might not have experienced some unexpected kindness by another human being in your life, but every single one of you have experienced this unexpected and undeserved kindness, the salvation of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you were dead, but were rescued and redeemed and given new life. And so now the response of your heart is like laughter. Like, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe I was dead, but now I'm alive. I can't believe that I get to be alive for all eternity and live with him forever in heaven and utter perfection. I can't believe it. So gratitude just gushes out because it's the natural response to a supernatural realization that you have been saved. That's all gratitude is. And so if we're struggling with gratitude, and man, do we struggle with it because like, we just look all over the place. It's not because we don't have enough. It's not because we need more. It's not because we need something to change even, to make our lives easier and more comfortable. What we need more than anything is for the Spirit of God to wake us up to the unexpected and undeserved kindness of the Father demonstrated to us and His Son. That's what we need. We need to have the eyes of our hearts opened so that we could understand that where we should have found condemnation, we found mercy. Where we should have been cast out, we found his embrace. Being filled with the fullness of God is not a weird thing. It's not like this, oh, you start jumping up and down and laughing hysterically, you're speaking gibberish. Like Being filled with the Spirit of God is this drawing into a greater comprehension and vision of God as Father and Jesus as Savior. So that, as Paul said in, at the end of, of uh, uh, chapter 3, so that we could comprehend his love that is beyond comprehension. That's what it means to be awakened by the Spirit. It means we see things for the way they actually are. So we need to pray that he would do that in us. We need to pray that he would wake up the eyes of our hearts. People who are resting in the Father of God 
and the finished work of Christ will possess a joy and a contentment and a hope and a peace that will be unbreakable. And the result of that is that our hearts will be full of gratitude. And that is what the world needs to see. The world needs to see believers who have their countenances changed, who don't walk around with frowns, but who walk around with this, this laughter bubbling up from the inside out that shows itself all over our faces and we just can't stop thanking God for everything. What if the world saw that in your life? So we become people who shine like the sun. So guys, my, my only encouragement today is that you would rest. That you would rest in the fatherhood of God. That you would see him as your dad who loves you. Maybe you didn't have a good dad. Maybe you don't know what it means to have a father who cares about your well-being. But this one does. And he does it perfectly. Without fail. Without any selfishness. And if you have any doubt of that, all you have to do is look to the cross. Because he gave everything for you. So let's rest in that love. Let's bask in it. And then finally, let's rest in the finished work of Christ. Really rest in it. Like, stay at the cross. Keep your your eyes set on it. Stop looking to the left and the right. Look north to him who was raised for you. And may our lives be full of gratitude for his glory and his fame. May he save many as a result of our joy. Let's pray.